And so um, I just want to start off with a question. You know, growing up, there were always like phrases that your parents or your grandparents told you, right? Like there were always things that you can, if, if you hear that phrase, you can almost hear like Mima or Papa, like saying that to you. And so one of those phrases that, that I remember was the phrase straighten up. Have you ever been told to straighten up before? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah. Uh, I know that uh, uh, I've been told that, and, and, and maybe you've told your kids that before. You've had to, you know how it goes, like you're in, you're in a public setting, and, and you're trying to look like you're this awesome parent and have it all together, and then like- Like in the church foyer? Like in a church foyer. Great analogy right there. And you know, your child has pent up energy, and you know, uh, gets a little uh, wild and goes all Tasmanian devil on everything and everyone. And, and what do you do? You, you, you grab your child with the fruit of the spirit of patience and, and you grab them by the arm and you bring them close and you've got this huge smile on your face, but you're telling them, if you don't straighten up right now, and then you can fill in the blank with the rest of that sentence, but, but, but you know what that is. I mean, you've been there before, and, and maybe you've said that, or there's always the, uh, and we've done this before, the, you, well, why don't you? There's always the other child that that doesn't work too well on. Let's, yes. Or can I be real? Okay, so our first kid, that worked fabulous. Yeah. But we our, thought we were amazing parents. We, did. we thought we were great parents. But then our second one came along, and uh, our she, pistol. Yes, our pistol. She has such great strength, really. She does. She but is. I will say, a gentle pinch on the back of the arm leads to, in public, yelling. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, you hurt me! You know, and then the whole room turns and looks at you. Or the restaurant when you tell the child, you know, we're going to go to the restroom, and they know what that means, and then they shout through the whole entire restaurant. I don't want a spanking. And, and you feel the stares, and then it's like, you know, you see somebody with their cell phone, and you just know they're calling CPS on you, and, and uh, yeah. Or the other parents are laughing and just so glad it's not them. And yes, it's excited. like, we, we, we've done our duty. I'm so glad that that's somebody else's turn, and, but we, we've, we've all had that, right, where, where we've had that conversation, we bring them in close, and we tell them to straighten up. And this morning, what I want to talk about is Jesus saying to us, straighten up. I want to flip this idea for just a moment because I believe that's exactly what Jesus is saying today and not the way you think he's saying it, but I believe that Jesus is telling us to straighten up and not out of a straighten up because we've been so bad or a straighten up because we've screwed up so many times. I believe Jesus is speaking straighten up because he wants to do some incredible things in our lives. So what I want to do is the title of our message is Straighten Up, but I want to talk about a story, an encounter in this Wonder Woman series between Jesus and a woman. Why don't we go ahead and pick up? Okay, so we're going to read in Luke 13, 10 through 17, and it says, on a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on one of those days, not on the Sabbath. 
the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things that he was doing. I want to break this story down for just a second because sometimes we can read through the Bible and miss the power of the story or the power that's in the verse. And so we're, we're in this series about Wonder Women, and here's this woman we find in the Bible. She has this incredible encounter with Jesus, but what's so fascinating about this story is we don't even know this woman's name. Here's this random woman who has this, what seems like random encounter with the Savior, and we're left wondering, who is this woman? So not only do we not know her name, but the other part of it is, this is the only time this story is ever in the Bible. Many times in the Bible, there's symbolism between stories in Old and New Testament, uh, in the Gospels especially, same story is said three and sometimes four times. It's in all the Gospels. But for some reason, this is only mentioned once, and we don't even know this lady's name. But here's what we do know about her. She's been struggling, and she's been suffering for a long time. How many of you know, if you've got the flu, 18 hours feels like a long time. But if you're disabled, and you're hurting, and you're in torment, could you imagine 18 years? Put it into perspective for a moment. It says in one translation that she's crippled. It says in another translation that she's bent over. Imagine your life today if you were bent over at the waist. And you, how, how would driving be? How would sleeping be? What would that be like? Or, or keeping a job or just functioning in day-to-day -day life. What would that be like if that's what you experienced? So it refers to her as crippled, it refers to her as bent over. She could only look down. But this is also a great point for us to remember because it says that she could not raise herself up. The truth is, that's where all of us are at this morning. None of us can raise ourselves up. We all want to be in control. We all want to think, I can fix this. I can make this better. I can, I, can work I can work smarter and not just harder. I can make this right. And yet there's so many circumstances in our lives that we cannot fix for ourselves. And we, just like this woman, have to be in a place where only Jesus can be the one who can do it for us. She couldn't do it for herself. Only Jesus could do it for her. And that's where we're at this morning, whether we've realized that or whether we've let our pride fall enough to uh, uh, make that realization in our lives that we can't, but God can. And what you have to remember is that in your inability, that's actually the beginning of God's ability. Guys, that's really good. Your inability is the beginning of God's ability because there's certain things that God won't let us do for ourselves. The Apostle Paul said it this way. He said, in, in my weakness, God's strength is made perfect. That almost sounds like it doesn't make any sense. What do you mean in, in your weakness, God's strength is made perfect? God specializes in weak situations. He takes the weak things and he makes them strong. 
And that's what God wants to do in our lives is he wants to take the weak things, the insignificant things, the broken things, and he wants to do something great with those things. So here we have this story about this woman who lived about 2,000 years ago. We don't know her name. We know that she was crippled, and that's about all we know about her. I want to fast forward about 2,000 years, give or take, and I want to tell you about another story of another woman who is crippled. And I want us to look at that story. And it's a story that began about six years ago. Would you mind sharing your story? Absolutely. Um, Like Kirk said, about six years ago, uh, one of my greatest struggles in life began. I was sitting in um, an eye appointment with my eye doctor. We'd recently moved uh, to a whole nother state and was getting to know her. She was really chatty, really friendly. I love when doctors make you feel comfortable and um, very friendly. So we got halfway through the exam and she was less and less chatty. And um, she began to get really quiet and focused. So I just kind of backed off and was letting her do what doctors do best. And near the end, after she had given me my eye exam, she began to ask me some questions about changes in my vision and then my prescription from the following year. And she said, well, she said, I'm a little concerned. She said, "Um, your prescription, especially in your left eye, has more than doubled in the negative um, from the prior year. So I said, okay, and uh, what's, what's the next step look like? And she said, well, we'll just keep an eye on it. Okay, no pun intended, okay. And um, she said, well, just keep an eye on it and see what happens. So I said, okay. And um, immediately fear set in. Um, I'm not going to stand here and look, sit, well, sit here technically, and look strong to you and say that I I didn't get afraid because I did. Um, But over the next few months and into the following year, I began to have a laundry list of symptoms and um, they were life altering, especially being a young mom who's very active. I worked, uh, enjoying my life, and along came the struggle. And everything from my arms going numb to tremors in my hands, unable to go out and have a meal like a normal person and be able to lift up a cup with a straw and drink from it. Um, all those little things that some days we take for granted, I couldn't yeah. do anymore including play with my kids. I remember one of the most, the, one of the first public um, opportunities I had mm-hmm. to deal with it. We were at a park and I was leading a life group and my daughter asked, she said, mom, will you please come help me up the slide? And I couldn't, I physically couldn't, I couldn't grab her hand and help her up the slide because I had lost the strength in my arms. I couldn't make dinner anymore, and that was one of my favorite things to do was cooking. Um, the she can cook, by the way. I just want to throw that out there. So, <laughs> Kirk suffered. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt saying, your No, no, flow. no. Kirk's saying he suffered. Um, but uh, <laughs> We walked through this journey together. Uh, we did walk through this journey together. We absolutely did. Um, but life was not easy anymore. So um, after many a doctor appointment and um, putting all the symptoms together, it was obvious that I had an autoimmune disease called MS. And so we're going to hop back and forth a little bit between this, these seven short verses about this unnamed woman who was crippled 
and who encountered Jesus. And we're going to do some comparisons, and we're going to jump back and forth. But here's a woman who struggled for 18 long years. Now, your struggle wasn't necessarily that long, but it was a long time. So how do you not let a struggle or a symptom or even a disability, whatever adjective you want to use to describe what people go through and face in life, how did you not let that define you? It's definitely a danger when you do that, when you get a diagnosis or um, even a bondage in your mind or emotions, when we start to build our lives around using that as a crutch. It, become, it can become your identity and who you are. I don't know. I was having a conversation earlier with someone who said they had a hairdresser who was struggling with a symptom, and it's all she talked about. And um, I encourage you, if, if you have an illness, to, to start by changing your language and not That's allowing good. your uh, current struggle to become your identity and who you are because you'll miss so much of who God is when you do that. Because really and truly, like the word talks about, out of your heart, your mouth speaks. And if you're identifying with something God didn't intend for you to have, it becomes even an idol in your life. So I encourage you not to do that. That's so good. Um, your struggle is meant to be part of your story. And, and that's what MS was. It's just part of my story, but it wasn't who I was or who I am. Uh, God used it to refine me and not to define me. And he can use any struggle in your life to refine you and not to define you. But that's a, a fine line. So make sure you're wake, when you wake up in the morning, it's not your first thought or the last thought you, you go to bed with is whatever your struggle or situation is that you're thinking about it. Instead, let it go and trust God that it's going to be used to refine you, but it's not who you are. That's so good. I mean, like you could tweet that. That your struggle isn't meant to define you, it's meant to refine you. That's good stuff right there. So let's, get, let's jump back to the story of this unnamed woman. And here in verse 12, we find her, and how the interaction takes place is it's, it's synagogue Sunday. You know, they're at church, and it's the Lord's Day, and here we have Jesus teaching, preaching, and all of a sudden he finds this woman and here's what he does. He brings her from being a back row Baptist. Okay, back row, whatever. She, she, she's way in the back. And he brings her to the forefront. He brings her close. And I think that's a picture of what Jesus wants to do with each and every one of us today, is that Jesus wants to bring us close. Because so many times, I think, Whatever the struggle is, it can make us, even like you said, want to isolate, want to uh, remove yourself. But Jesus wants to bring us close so that he can heal us, so that he can touch us. It said he laid his hands on her. That was a, a point of contact for healing. But not just healing for her body, but her mind, her emotions, um, and even though she's unnamed, I don't think it's coincidence that Jesus looks out into a crowd and he points out this woman. He finds this woman where she was at. And it tells us and it reminds us that no matter where you're at, Jesus can find you. It doesn't matter what you're going through or where you're at, that Jesus has the ability not only to, to find you, 
but to bring you in close and to heal you. And the truth is, when nobody else knows what's going on in your life, because we are masters of cropping and we are masters of filtering. Think about what we do with social media. We can take what looks like a very nominal, normal picture and through our filters and through our cropping and all the other uh, little things that we do with it, we make it look amazing. And I think that's how people live their lives sometimes. We're broken and we're hurting, but we try to put this positive spin and make it look differently than it really is. And I think there's so many people who live that way that they're really going through struggles but they're faking it instead of faithing it. Instead of turning to God, they're trying to make it better in and of their own ability when, man, God knows you're struggling. Bring the struggle to him. He knows and he wants to call you out of the crowd. He wants to bring you in close, not to embarrass you, but to bring healing and restoration in your life. So here's what happens. Jesus brings this woman in from the back row to the front row And he begins to speak to her. And here's what he says. He says, woman, in the King James, it says, thou art loosed. Okay, thou art loosed is three English words. But it's only one Greek word. And it means to be free fully. See, Jesus didn't just want to heal her body that was bent over and crippled. But he wanted to heal her mind, her broken mindsets, her broken soul, her broken emotions. It literally means the word picture that's associated with this Greek word for thou art loosed. It literally means, and it's a picture of divorce. In other words, being removed from the house. Speak to that for just a second. Well, if you can't tell, we're trying to challenge your thinking a little bit. And um, I know from my story, I just want you guys to see that sickness is not meant to be ours. The word says that the enemy comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. That's what the enemy does. God came that we might have life, and not just life in heaven, but life here on earth. That's right. So if sickness is meant to destroy us, then it obviously wasn't something that God intended for us to have. And on the flip side of that, the word says, every good and perfect thing comes from God. And the last time I checked, health and wholeness and healing is a good and perfect thing. That's right. This is where it's that balance between facts versus truth. The reason I went to the doctor was because I needed to know what the facts were. And the facts were I was struggling with something called MS. But on the flip side of that was the truth. And the truth was the word of God and that he had paid the price for me to be whole. That's right. So you have to understand the difference between the two. Daily... um, It was really just a choice of refusing the symptoms. Someone asked me after last service, they said, so how did you actually get whole? Um, For me, we did not medicate. Um, I can honestly tell you I did not take one one medication over this um, two to three year course. I just didn't. But that was for me and what I knew my journey was. Kirk and I sought the Lord and asked him, what do you want for us specifically to do? And I will say that's my story, but your story may be completely different. And that's just fine because God uses so many different methods of healing. That's exactly right. So talk about just for a moment, um, talk about just refusing the symptoms. Just 
share, share that for a minute? It was daily. It's a kind of a funny word picture. It actually came to me um, right before we came out here, but I don't know if you've ever seen a tick crawling on you, but I've not met anyone yet who allows the tick to crawl on you and to stay there and to embed itself in you. Has anybody done that? Okay, well, it's the same exact way for me and my story. The symptoms that I had, and to be really real with you, I had a list of 16 different symptoms. And they weren't pretty. And with each symptom I chose that I would feel throughout the day, it was literally like shaking off a tick. It was like, fine, whatever. It was, for me, it was something I had to ignore. I felt it, but I didn't allow it to embed itself in me. And so part of our journey that the Lord spoke to us in the very beginning was walk it out. And I didn't want to walk it out, trust me. Um, I didn't know how long that meant. And it was, it's so funny, you know, God used the very thing that I needed to refine my um, struggle with control. I wanted everything to be perfect. Um, I wanted to control my environment, and so it was just so funny that I walked through this journey of an illness that there was no way to control my body at all. I didn't have any control, and so um, God, again, allowed it, but walking through that one symptom one day, one minute at a time, and just shaking it off and denying that it was mine for me to have, um, that that was how I walked through that. And, and I want to do this because, I mean, we walk this, this journey together. And one of the things that I found is that there are so many people um, who deal with anxiety, not just fear. It's, it's one thing to experience fear or like your kid's hiding around the corner and they jump out and, you know, scare you. And like you almost say something that you shouldn't say, like a certain word that has a certain amount of letters. And... And, and then you have to ask for forgiveness, both from your child and from God. And I'm not just talking about fear. I'm talking about full-blown anxiety and anxiety attacks. Because the more counseling we've done over the years, not only have we had to fight anxiety, but we found that so many people who you might even think have it together, like they've got no issues in their life, are severely suffering from anxiety. Talk about that for just a second. Anxiety was uh, a major, major symptom for me. Uh, Never in my life had I really been anxious other than the normal butterflies, like right before you speak or things like that. I'd had that, but I'd never had a full-blown anxiety attack. And, um, you know, I referenced not allowing your situation to define you. And in the beginning, I didn't do such a great job. Fear had so gripped me that literally, y'all, I'm not kidding, I would not drive by a hospital or a graveyard. Like emotionally, I couldn't go there, and so my way of dealing with it was avoiding it. I would go clear across town to not have to go by the hospital. That's how, how great the fear and anxiety that was at that time residing within me. Wow. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you know what that feels like, and maybe your spouse doesn't even know uh, that you struggle with something like that. But so many people at their, at their core are living life with that level of anxiety. And I think we can both agree that that's not God's plan for you. That's not God's best for you. And actually, Jesus paid the price so that you wouldn't have to bear that anxiety 
I think it's not coincidence that Jesus bled from his head, not only great drops of blood, but there was also that crown of thorns put on him. He bled two different places out of his head. What's, what's the point of that? That represents healing for our minds. That's why the Bible says that we can have the mind of Christ, that we don't have to be succumbed to anxiety and fear and controlled by our thoughts. But like the Apostle Paul said, we can take our thoughts captive. And I think that even plays into uh, your story quite a bit of just having to take those thoughts captive and win the daily battle over those thoughts. One of my favorite stories was about David. You know, David talks about how he would remind himself about killing the lion and then killing the bear. And that was another thing that I had to remind myself daily of the victories that God had already done for me, even leading up to this point. It's so healthy for us and good for us to remember all the amazing and wonderful things God has already done in our lives. That's right. And he's not going to stop. Like somewhere in my mind, I had thought that I had run out of all of God's goodness. But that's not true at all. It, every day, God continues to be good. And so right. encourage yourself in the past victories that you've had. Encourage yourself that no matter how long the current situation you're in has been going on, that God is good and he will make you victorious. That's exactly right. Okay, so in verse 14, let, let's go back to this story about this unnamed woman. And the religious leaders saw the healing as work. They said, you can't do that. Really, it was just an issue of them being jealous that Jesus could heal people and they couldn't. And so they were, they were trying to find a rule. And that's what religious people do. We gotta find a rule. We gotta stop this somehow. And so they find this rule and, and they refer to healing as work. But here's what I need you to see, church. When God heals people, it's not work for God. God is unlimited. You need to realize it's grace. What is grace? Unmerited favor. It's something that you can't work for, you can't earn, nor do you deserve it anyways. It's a free gift from God. So when God heals us and brings healing, whether it's in our thoughts, in our body, or in our souls, it's because Jesus is extending grace that we don't deserve in our lives. Now, there is work that happened it happened on the cross 2,000 years ago. The reason that some of the last words Jesus said were, it is finished, is because it's a finished work. Jesus did all the work. Now we just received the grace that he's extended for us. Are you guys getting this, second service? Come on, 11 o'clock. Insert amen now. Uh, Come on, guys, this is the gospel right here. And healing doesn't have to come the way you think it should. Talk about that just a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I referenced it earlier, but don't ever put God's methods in a box. Um, just because my story came one way doesn't mean your story can't come through another source of God's healing, whether that's for some of us, let's be real, it's diet and exercise. Okay, diet and exercise. You're not going to get an amen on that one. I'm just throwing I that know, out there. I <laughs> know. I know. None of them like that. But no, diet and exercise, that definitely can bring healing to your body. But just as much as there are medications that, that benefit and help so many people, you know, I had a precious friend, my best friend, walk through breast cancer, and her healing came through um, chemo treatment. And so I'm very, very grateful to all the forms. So never, ever, ever put God's methods in a box. That's exactly right. So Jesus, this unnamed woman, Jesus refers to her 
not only is crippled or bent over, but it also refers to her as bound. And, the, and that term bound literally means, it's, it's a word picture, but it's the enemy preventing you from standing up straight. And I, I think this is so significant because Jesus wants this woman to stand up straight. And the reason that he wants her to stand up straight is not just physically to straighten up, but he wants her to straighten up in her spirit on the inside. In other words, when we straighten up, now we can run. When you're bent over, you can't run very well, can you? No, you can't. So Jesus is telling her to straighten up so she can run and pursue him and become everything that God has destined her to be, to walk in the plans and the purposes and the calling that he has for her life. But, but when you're living disabled, it detours your destiny because you can't be all that God's created you to be, whether that's externally or internally uh, dealing with a struggle or dealing with a disability. So Jesus wants us to straighten up so that we can run towards the destiny and the purpose that he has for us. I love this scripture. Uh, Leviticus 26, 13. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt so you would no longer be their slaves. I broke the yoke of slavery from your neck so you can walk with your heads held high. That's such a great scripture. Uh, so somebody actually texted us this morning and said, I've never heard a, a great scripture come out of Leviticus. And of course they were joking because that's like the, the book of the Bible that like if you're struggling with falling asleep, like just read Leviticus before bed. And it's just a list of like the 613 rules that, that the Israelites had to follow. But, but what I love about this scripture is it says you were a slave. You, you were under a yoke. What was a yoke? It was literally a weighted thing that they would put on oxen where they would have to work so hard. And what it's saying is I, I broke the yoke of slavery so you can hold your head up high so you can straighten up and be all that God has created you to be. Not only physically, but to hold your head up high, that means there's been removal of shame from your life. And so this is an incredible scripture, but think about it. Here's, here's this woman, all she can see is what's below her. She's constantly looking down. She's constantly looking at the ground, and if all you're doing in your life is looking down, you're gonna get cynical. You're gonna get critical. You're gonna become a negative Nancy or a, a, a negative, what's another end name? I don't know. But you're, you're gonna be, I didn't wanna pick on Nancy, both services. But you're gonna become negative if all you're looking at is what's beneath you when God wants you to look up at all that's above you. And you'll lose the vision of your future if all you're doing is looking down. This is why I believe that the Bible talks about looking up. So when God's revealing Abraham his destiny, what does he say? Look at the stars. Look up to what I have for you. In Psalm 121, he says, look to the hills where your help comes from. You know where your help is coming from? Above. The hills was talking about Jerusalem, which was a city that was elevated. He's saying, looking up, look up. That's why Hebrews 12 says, looking unto Jesus, where is Jesus right now? Seated right next to the heavenly Father in heavenly places. Look up to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. God's calling us, 11 o'clock, to look up to all the things that he has for us and quit looking down and meddling in the mud when God has destiny and great things planned for our life. 
So in verse 15 and 16, we're now deal Jesus deals with this re these religious people. And what I want to warn you of today is don't let religious thinking come in. Because religious thinking will keep you bound. There's ideologies that will keep you from receiving your freedom or your healing. People in your family saying, well, that's what aunt, aunt so-and-so had, so you're always going to live that way. You're always going to be that way. No, no, no. You have a new bloodline. You have been blood-bought. Blood you are a child of God. You have a new family that you've joined, so you don't have to operate in obesity. You don't have to operate in drug addiction. God's done something different in your life, so receive what God has for you. See, what religion does is it tries to control God and put God in a box. Some theology in some churches this morning would even teach that God doesn't heal anymore. That doesn't make any sense to me. That the God who healed people all throughout the Bible and raised the dead all of a sudden has decided, well, I've written the scripture, so I'm not going to heal anymore. That is inconsistent with his character. Why would God make that decision? Newsflash, he didn't. He's still the God who heals today. Hebrews 13 says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Forever. He's not going to stop loving his kids. He's not going to stop healing his kids. And God says yes when religion says no. Don't let somebody else's negative experience all of a sudden become your experience. It doesn't have to. Don't listen to their BS. Now, by BS, I mean their belief system, so don't, don't get... Well, what did y'all think he meant? I, I don't know. I kind of think some of that is both ways, right? It's belief systems and it's the other. Uh, so, so that can roll both ways. But your story in verse 17, this woman's story and what Jesus did gave hope to others. And what you need to realize is that when you tell your story, it's going to give hope to others. Tell your triumph to someone else. They're waiting to hear it. Because when you do, it'll remind you of what God has done for you but it'll also empower them, giving them hope for what God can do for them. Your story will unlock others. That's why we're up here today. That's why Pastor I.B. Vaughn told us, because there's a story that exists here, and, and we don't even have time in the 35 minutes we have together to tell all of what happened in the miracles in that season. So your story is going to be a catalyst for somebody else. And so, obviously, you're still alive, uh, you're healthy, you're strong. I think you look pretty darn good. I'm just, I'm just saying. So tell us what God did. Tell the conclusion of your story and, and, and what God did. Well, it has been three years since I have had any symptoms of MS. Come on. Yes. God is good and he is faithful. Um, a couple small, I'm practical, like I'm a practical teacher, if you can't tell, and he's like the amazing fireball preacher, so um, it's fun to get to do it together, but just a couple practical tips, and this sounds silly, but it's for somebody, don't Google, don't Google your symptoms, um, no WebMD, don't make it your best friend, 
all that kind of stuff. Make sure that you're encouraging yourself with life-giving people around you and in your life. Um, There were actually very few people who knew of our story and what when we were walking it out. Um, We chose that on purpose because we wanted to be surrounded by like-minded people who were going to fight with us and fight in faith. So make sure if you're somebody's friend that you encourage them, that you speak life into them. Um, Be a good friend definitely by doing that. Um, another practical tip it, it's practical but it's spiritual and the same uh, one of my favorite memories during my story one of my hardest days and my best days was I decided to the easiest way to explain it I think for me is whenever you have a spirit of something you want to counteract it with the opposite so yeah. let's say you're stingy you grew up in a, a house full of a mindset of poverty the way you counteract that is a spirit of generosity that's right and so I took that principle and applied it and um, I just asked the Lord to give me the strength every day to live as a normal person would live life to the fullest despite what my circumstances look like and um, I remember one day looking at Kirk and I had spent a couple days before that in bed. It was very difficult for me to get in and out of bed without assistance. And I looked at Kirk and I said, I'm going for a walk. And I said, I'm going to be gone a while and I don't know how long, but I'm going to go for a walk. And we lived in an awesome neighborhood and uh, I began my walk. That walk to me meant more than anything because it was an anthem for the rest of my journey to say enough is enough. I'm not going to be defeated. And I was standing up and straightening up on the inside. That's what that was for me that day. And um, I'm so, so grateful to God and all his goodness that he was faithful in my journey. And I have no doubt that he's going to be faithful in yours, no matter if it's been three months, six months, 18 years, 25 years, 36 years, never, ever give up hope. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. That's right. And uh, hope was a big, big part of my journey in walking out. So um, stay the course. That's right. Amen. I want to I wanna close with this thought, and then we're going to pray. But one of the things it says is, it talks about how she praised God when the healing happened. And obviously, the, the proper response to Jesus touching us and doing something big in our life is to praise. But sometimes we can miss the meaning, because when I look this up in the New Living Translation, here's what it literally said. It says, how she praised God, exclamation point. In other words, it wasn't just a normal praise. It wasn't a normal thank you, God. But there was a level of praise that was above and beyond. And I think when you've gone through something, you praise differently. I'm reminded of the woman uh, who uh, had some issues and, and Jesus had brought some healing in her life. And here's Jesus. And, and remember, you know, they walked barefooted in the dirt back then. So Jesus had some stanky feet. I know that's shocking and that might upset you, but Jesus's feet were dirty just like everybody else's. And here's this woman and she's literally bawling to the point that she has enough moisture coming from her eyes that she's able to wash 
the dirt, turn it into mud, and then use her own hair to scrub it off of Jesus' feet. See, that was another level of praise. And when, when God has delivered you from a drug addiction, when he saved your marriage, when he's forgiven you from a rap sheet of bad decisions, when he's shown up big ways in your life, when you've been in a hospital bed and thought this was the end, and you're still walking and still living and still breathing, then you know that God is real, and you have another level of praise on the inside of you. And I'm telling you, if you haven't experienced that, you need to know that, that there is a God who is a healing God. He is so much bigger and greater than what we face in our day-to-day -day lives. And you need to understand that the same, God has no respect for persons. If he'll heal Cheyenne, and if he'll walk us through the journey that we went through, then there's nothing that he can't do for you because he loves you to the same degree that he loves us. He doesn't love us more because we have pastor next to our names. He loves all his children the same. That means if he'll do it for Cheyenne, he'll do it for you. And that's what we're gonna pray this morning is that he's gonna do it for you and for you, and for you on the back row, and for you over there, and for you in the shadows, and for you right front and center, that if God will do it for us, he'll do it for you. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to bow our heads, to close our eyes, just out of a respect for prayer. And we're gonna pray together, but we're not just gonna pray, we're gonna respond with action, because that's what faith is. Faith is not some, uh, idea that we need for when we breathe our last for the sweet by and by, but faith is an action right here and right now. So if you're in this room this morning and this message has resonated with you, that your struggle is very real, whether it's mental, whether it's physical, whether it's emotional damage that's resident within your soul, Epic Church is a house of freedom. It's a house, it's a church where people get free. That's, that's like not only one of our core values, but it's a spiritual mandate that's on this house. And so right now, we wanna pray for those who have that disability because God wants to bring his ability into your disability. So right now, if that's you, I want you to stand to your feet all over this room. Don't wait for somebody else to do it. I just want you to stand up right now. Guys, can we bring the lights up just a little bit so I can see who, who we're gonna be praying for? This is what faith is. Faith is a response. Faith is not just words, but it's a response. So if that's you and, and you've got sickness in your body or sickness in your mind or sickness in your soul, I want you to stand right now. And we're gonna pray. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Okay, here's, here, here's the thing. We say at Epic, nobody stands alone. So I want you to look around right now, see the people who are standing, and I want you to go and just put your hand on their shoulder, on their back. Don't be weird. This isn't, this isn't time to, to, to go weird on me, but we're gonna stand in agreement with them. We're gonna pray together. We want nobody left standing alone. So we're gonna take a minute let you move out of your seat and stand with them. And we're gonna pray in agreement with them and believe for God to do something that is a biblical scale in their lives. 
And if you're still sitting, just extend your hand to somebody just as an action of faith. And let's pray right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, the name that's above every name, I extend hands and I lift my voice and I pray for those who are struggling, those who are hurting, those who are going through something, Lord God, that's affecting them deeply. And God, I'm reminded that if you'll do it for us, we saw it firsthand in our lives, then I know you'll do it for them because you are no respecter of persons. So God, I pray that healing would manifest right now. The book of Psalms says you sent your word and it healed them. And God, as we're praying and speaking your word, I pray that healing is working in their body. It's working in their minds right now, Lord God. I come against PTSD right now. I come against thoughts of suicide right now. I come against pain in bodies right now. I come against symptoms of all kinds right now. And God, I pray that you would supernaturally touch and heal the same way you did to that woman who was crippled and bent over 2,000 years ago is the same healing you want to bring to our bodies, our minds, and our souls today. So God, let your healing come. Touch our bodies. Touch our minds. Touch our souls, Lord God. And let us experience the goodness of God. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And the church church said a resounding amen. Let's give the Lord praise. Let's give him a hand clap and let's thank him for what he's done. Why don't you go ahead and go back to your seats and we can't wait to hear stories of God's goodness of what he's done in people's lives through this weekend. Now, Cheyenne and I are going to be out in the foyer. If, if you need prayer, we have, we have uh, small group leaders around here. We have pastors around here. We're going to be out wandering the foyer. And if there's something more that you want prayer for, make sure that you get prayer before you leave this morning. We love you. We believe in you. We've got a couple announcements, and then you'll be dismissed.